0: Welcome to those of you who are new and visiting Living Hope. It's good to have you with us. Please open your Bibles to the book of James. We find ourselves in chapter 3 as we continue our consideration of wisdom. This morning I want to speak to you about wisdom from above but contrasted with earthly wisdom. James has been showing us that the tongue is illustrative of a bigger problem. When we show our tongues in our conversation, we are inevitably manifesting the state of our hearts. We are showing what lies beneath the surface of our, um, the reservoirs of our hearts. The wisdom that drives our actions and our words comes from our heart. This reality is revealed as James points to the source of the fruit. And we saw that at the end of um, the previous section, verses 10 through to verse uh, 12. And now, even though we have transitioned into this discussion of wisdom, always have in the back of your mind, James is thinking about source. While the discussion is now surely and squarely focused on wisdom, the source of our words and our wisdom is still in view. James does not provide us a practical list of do's and don'ts. And that's often what we think of when we speak of wisdom. But he provides us with some demonstrations of what wisdom looks like and what wisdom does not look like. James looks at a wisdom that brings honor to God and a wisdom that rejects God outrightly. See, biblical wisdom, or wisdom that comes from above, includes moral rectitude. It includes purity. It includes gentleness. It is a God-honoring manner of life. Wisdom that is not from God, wisdom that is not from above, is worldly. It is natural. It feeds our own desires. It is based on our own understanding and standards. It looks good to those on the out. But when you examine that kind of wisdom, it is anti-God and it is anti-wisdom. It is not approved by God and is not sanctioned by God. Yet many Christians base their lives on worldly wisdom. The character of a godly man, according to Scripture, is wisdom manifested. If you want to see a godly person, see how they demonstrate their wisdom. This means that if we have trouble with the tongue, if we have trouble with thinking about how we ought to respond to one another or how we ought to live in this world, then we lack one thing. Biblical wisdom. True wisdom, as we saw last week, is seen in ethical behavior and relational sensitivity. This morning we will see the internal workings, the internal signs of false wisdom. I hope to get to the visual effects of wisdom. That's not movie language. Um, I hope to get to, to, to demonstrate how it looks in a person's life. If I don't, then there's always next week. So this morning we will look at these three components to wisdom, and I want to, I want to start with verse 14. We will, we will see the signs of false wisdom. In verse 15, we will see the effects of false wisdom. And in verse 16, we will see the results of false wisdom. Now, 15 and 16, I, I do have my notes, but as usual, I never finish my notes. So if I do not finish it, I will probably get to that next week. <coughs> Wisdom that honors God does not need an academic degree. It does not need intellect. You do not need to be able to pass a Greek verb or to uh, identify the form of or conjugate a Hebrew verb. You don't need to do that in order for you to have wisdom. What you do need is the fear of God. What you do need is understanding and having the knowledge of God and then Condensing your life to follow what you know about God. A life that does not have the fear of God is a life that is dominated by fleshly, futile, and ferocious thoughts. That is humanistic wisdom. Read with me as we look at James 3 verse 13 through to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? there will be disorder and every vile practice thus far. Let's give attention to the signs of false wisdom. So firstly, what I want to draw your attention to is in verse 14, the internal signs of false wisdom. James approaches this passage very typical to how wisdom literature is written. Notice how he begins. He says, But if you have... Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Often you will see this kind of writing in the Old Testament where the positive is negated by the negative or it is contrasted with a negative thought. So right from the offset here, James um, contrasts two things. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, which is contrasted by what he mentioned in verse 13, which is meekness and showing good conduct. So good conduct and gentleness or or meekness in in wisdom, when it is shown, is contrasted to this kind of life, this kind of possession, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Now, verse 14 is diametrically opposed to verse 13. These two are opposites. The way that the English is written gives the idea that this is possibly true of a person. And... It may seem that way in English, but that's not the sense in in Greek. It says, but if you have, basically, that this is what you possess. Not potentially. This is true of you. So if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. It is an awkward statement. It is an awkward sentence, and we will take the time to unravel it and see what James actually means. When James writes this, uh, but if you have these qualities, he's presuming that reality. He's presuming that you already possess these two things. Now, when I say, for instance, um, if you go to the shop, what do you presume should come after that? The word then, right? because we never use sentences without if sentences without the word then. So if you say, if you go to the shop, then bring me some, or please bring me some, it stands in place of then. James doesn't do that yet, and so it breaks the sequence, and he does that willingly. If you read the sentence again, just think of the word then where it should fit. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, then should fit there, right? Do not boast and be false to the truth. But he doesn't provide the then. What he does is he contrasts it with a negative command. And I'll get to that in a moment's time, why James does that. So he gives a negative command to help us understand why these two things are so bad. Good behavior in verse 13 is contrasted here with bad conduct. The two bad things that James highlights is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. These virtues reside in the heart of this person. It permeates and dominates the heart of this person. James wants us to see that external problems, the way that we deal with one another, the way that we respond to life, the way that we do things in life, comes back to what is in our hearts. The reason we do not honor God in our actions is because we are resistant to His grace in our hearts. So James highlights these two virtues. Bitter jealousy bitter jealousy, and selfish ambition what does he mean by these two things what are they and how significant are they in this context somebody asked me the other day why do you only stay in the book why didn't you always you know like most other preachers you corresponded with other verses i sometimes do that um i think it's helpful uh but paul doesn't explain james Maybe Paul's use of a verse is helpful to understand a specific thought in James. But Paul does not write with uh, James' words in mind. Uh, Neither does James explain Paul. James explains James. He writes... To an audience, a specific audience, and he's given all that they need to understand what he means. So I don't need to go out of the book to explain what he says. Sometimes I do, especially if it's a Jewish thought that I need to uh, use and, 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 and uh, just support what he's saying. But for the most time, I'm trying uh, to give you a Jewish Jam- Jamian or Jacobian perspective of his own writing. The person that James has in view in verse 14 is a person that has banked on a wisdom that comes from this world. A person that is filled with something that is natural to all of us. A person that is characterized by a heart that has bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. This is anti-wisdom. This is not wisdom that comes from God. This is wisdom that is characterized by a person who cares only for himself, a person that only has his his own good and his own thoughts upon himself and for himself and does things to benefit himself. This person's heart is not set on God and therefore not the people of God. So James points out the internal problem of why it is so easy to lose control of the tongue. Why it is so easy to hurt people with the tongue. In the previous section, I pointed out that James alludes to the heart. But here, he points right out, he points to the actual thing, which is the problem. Notice what he says in verse 14. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Now he mentions what the actual problem is. It is that your heart is the problem. What you possess in your heart is what the problem is previously alluded to it, but now it tells us exactly what the problem is. What is meant here by this um, phrase, bitter jealousy? Some translations have envy or jealousy. Either way, it's it's the same thing. Both is fine. But this word is modified by a little word called in en- uh, bitterness. This generally relates to how People view other people's possessions, and you can have envy for that. Or it could be jealous over what you don't have. And generally that's how it is used. But it's actually a positive word. It is a word that uh, we get the idea from zeal, zeal from. To be zealous for something. To be passionate about something. To do something for the glory of God very zealously. But it can be used Negatively. And when it is used negatively, it relates to something that is done with passionate zeal in the opposite. Um, Something that does not glorify God. Something that does not bring joy to God. This kind of envy relates to bitterness and violent thoughts, actions that results from when someone is challenged and he doesn't like it when uh, you lose a position or uh, a status. Respect, for instance. This word is already used, the word bitter is used in verse 11. Take note how James uses it there. He says, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and bitter water or salt water, as some translations say? The, the bitterness there is used in a literal sense. Um, water that is naturally tastes bad. So James uses it figuratively, same word, year in verse 14. And he says, If you have a bad taste of jealousy in your heart. In verse 11, James speaks about the problem of bitterness as it relates to. What remains behind after you taste the junk water, um, you know, like uh, uh, sink water, have you ever drunk sink water? Um, don't try it, it's not good for you. But it doesn't taste that good. Um, in, I remember in, uh, was it Joburg? It was, no, it was Mapumalanga. And I uh, normally at home, I would just open the tap and drink the water. Yeah, don't do it in my Pumalanga, um, at least in the area that I was. There may be good water elsewhere. But this was a very unique aftertaste. It was like a mixture of petrol, diesel, and bleach. And yeah, that bitter aftertaste is what James has in mind here with bitterness. It leaves a stain. It leaves a a bad uh, um, aftertaste. It's not enough that we have jealousy, but he says it is bitter jealousy. It leaves a bad taste in your heart. It stains your heart with bitterness. One dictionary says it this way. This jealousy is bitter, which gives the picture of resentful, harsh, sharp, cutting, piercing responses. Wow. That is what you don't expect of a believer. That is what you do not expect of what Christians should do. But James is speaking here in the context of teachers, and yes, it is much wider than that, in that he's already transitioned to my brother, so it is much wider than that. But in the context of those who are teaching, if those who are teaching are disrespected, Think of that bitter jealousy that comes out. Why? Because of the fact that you've been challenged. The fact that you've, uh, that you've lost a certain respect. And you are vying for that status. You're trying to pros- protect that position. And so you, you, because of the self-exaltation, because of this jealousy that you have for your own status, you react. It is bitterness that resides and permeates the heart. When James says, uh, notice the verb that he uses here, if you have, and we may not think that that is a verb, but it is verbal, it it doesn't mean that you may or you may not have. It literally means that you possess and you hold it. You have it. It's yours. This is something that you actively, constantly, and as, as an ongoing reality have. In your heart. It dominates your heart. It's a passion that permeates your existence. You want it so bad that you're controlled by it. Could be anything, could be a dream, could be a thing, a taste, a child, authority. Respect you want it so bad that you would do anything for it. When we think of bitter jealousy, we think of desiring something external to us. James is talking about something that is in our hearts that has taken possession of us and we we are controlled by it. The person is driven by this passion. He's looking inward. It's an inward control that captivates one's heart and therefore dominates one's passions. One person says it this way. This inward control controls the person to such a degree that it dominates the thought life of that person to such a degree that nothing makes sense until we possess that thing. Makes sense, right? It's so important to you that life does not make sense until that thing is attained. could be anything, internally or externally to you, anything. Self-centered passion permeates this kind of individual. This bitter jealousy describes a heart that is unsatisfied with God. A heart that is not content until a desire is met. The sad thing is that this selfish uh, um, uh, ambition, or sorry, this bitter jealousy, can never be fully satisfied. Because it's not set upon it God. It's not set upon, upon what God is able to give to the person. It's set upon self. Let me illustrate it this way. You go into the mall and you see a drill. I know that's a small thing to most of you, but if you're a guy and you like tools, and maybe it's not that IOB, but it's one of the best tools you've seen in a long while, but you can't afford it. You just don't have the 3,000 rand to buy it, but it captivated your heart. And you go home and you start thinking, you know what, I can reduce my DSTV, I can, can forego Netflix, I can buy less chicken this month, I can make it. But you don't actually do those things, you've convinced yourself that you can because you want that thing. It's dominated your thought life because it's dominated your heart life and now you're going to go for it. So, it doesn't matter to you that you don't have the money. You are going to go and buy it and you say, you know what? I'll pay this credit card back next month. But you don't really. You are controlled by it. And you may think, yeah, I wouldn't buy a drill. Well, what about a vacuum? No. What about a coffee machine? Amen. Oh, no. (laughs) (coughs) What about a car? or a house, or position, or status, or respect that somebody should give you because I've got a PhD. How dare you disrespect me? If I don't get it, as my mom would say, there would be blood to pay. That is, having a selfish embittered jealousy over a thing, you are so absorbed by it that it controls your thought life. It is your passion. If your happiness and contentment is elevated by it all, if your bitterness is reduced when you get it, you may have bitter jealousy in your heart. This is not wisdom that comes from above. The second thing that James highlights here is selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. This word originally meant to spin wool as for personal gain. It's to work for yourself. You don't need to do it, but you do it because you love the gain the extended meaning still carries the same idea but it is to seek one's own good so you do it only because there is personal benefit it is to be focused on self-worth and self benefit doing things because there is personal advantage paul uses it in philippians chapter 2 verse 3 and he says do nothing out of selfishness and empty conceit that the word selfishness is the same word here. In classical times, and I like this because it kind of explains uh, a lot about politicians, but in classical times, um, the Grecian classical time, it was used, quote, of those who serve in official positions, such as politicians, for their own selfish interest and who, to that end, promote a party spirit or faction, end quote. Yeah. I mean I don't need to say much about that because you can just look at our own politicians and yeah that is that is them described perfectly. Behind this word is self fulfillment, personal gratification. Both words that James used looks inward. Yet when we think of jealousy, we think outward. When we think of um, ambition, we think outward. I am ambitious. I am desiring to be somewhere. He says, no, these are things that benefit yourself. You are thinking my way and no other way. Again, it demonstrates a heart that is not actually set on God, but is set on self. It is a heart that is not set on God's desire, God's will, or God's wants, but has replaced God with my will, my desire, and my wants. James is after a sense of personal gratification and self-fulfillment at all cost. You must have it, or else. Even if others suffer, it does not matter. It's for my benefit. It's for my benefit. This, this happens a lot in the teen years, where teens naturally become self-absorbed. They start to think in terms of what is most beneficial for themselves. They don't think in the greater scope of being part or functional part of a family. Selfish gain or self-enjoyment permeates and reigns supreme in their hearts. This is wisdom that is self-reliant. This is wisdom that that looks to itself for its own resources and to be self-satisfied. Now take note again in verse 14. If you have bitter jealousy and ambition, take note of this in your heart. The, the idea there that James says, is that it permeates, it's among, it's, it's filled your entire heart. It reigns in your heart. There is no Christ, there is no God that reigns in your heart, but this does. Then you have a problem. This person's heart is dominated by these two virtues. And therefore he trusts in Him. Self. You know what Proverbs says about the man who trusts in himself? He is a what? Fool. James says to these people, if this describes you, then you don't have wisdom from above. Then you've got a big problem in your heart. The verbal sense Of you have gives the idea of an ongoing reality, a state of existence which is true of the individual. So if you have as an ongoing reality, as a as a permanent state of existence, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition permeating in the entirety or in the scope of your heart, then do not boast and be false to the truth. People who have this kind of wisdom is characterized by these two qualities. They act selfishly because they are selfish. They are proud because their heart loves the praise of men. What does he mean by heart? uh, I've resisted dealing with heart prior to this. I've mentioned it a few times, um, but James mentions heart here, and so I'm going to take some time just to give us a little bit of an understanding. It won't be too long. What What is meant by heart? In the Jewish understanding of heart, heart is the seat of emotion. It is the mission control or mission center of the person. It controls the entire Uh, decision-making aspect of um, the individual it is the place from where our decisions come that drives our will and our passions and that results in actions you hear it on the lips of jesus from um, it's not what goes into a man that defiles a man but what comes out of a man hear the heart Is that place that helps a person determine which way he wants to go. The heart is the means through which you decide whether you want to honor God or you want to dishonor God. It is the heart that is in view. So James says, if your heart is controlled, is, is dominated by these two things, what do you not have in your heart? The heart is dominated by a person's self-inflated view of himself and therefore driven by passions that exalt self. We see this often today. Think about how people want you to affirm a reality that they are passionate about. Ideological manipulation is what I call it. You have to say what they say about themselves because they want you to believe what they believe about themselves. They are zealous for their own desire. There's, um, I remember reading this the uh, uh, earlier, I think it was there, uh, uh, in Feb, um, when Peter spoke about the golden rule, it sparked a... Uh, uh, a thought. Uh, there's, now call, there's now a diamond rule and a platinum rule. I don't know which one it is, but it's elevated. It's, it's quote-unquote, uh, better the golden rule. So it is better than the rule that God gave. The one rule, whichever it is, platinum or diamond, you can go and check it out. You don't, uh, don't have to waste the time to do that, but you can if you want, is this. It is to have others Love you the way that you love yourself. (laughs) I know. It is to have others view you the way that you view yourself and to have them affirm your view. Isn't that what we're seeing in our society today? That is supposed to be better than the golden rule. If you ask me, that is a step back. They want others to affirm their neurosis because that neurosis, that wrong perception of themselves, dominate their hearts. They are captivated by self-gratification and they can do no other. And because their conscience is bearing witness against them, they want the affirmation of other people. And so they want you to say what they believe. They want you to say he when it's a she. And they want you to say she when it's a he. They want you to say them when it's a he or a she. Well, either or, not both, right? James describes this internal virtue of this person, and it is concerning. He says it permeates their hearts. It dominates who they are. These people do not have wisdom from above. This is who they are naturally. They only display bitterness. Uh, They not only display bitterness, but bitterness is seen externally because it resides firstly in their hearts. So James connects the source of bitterness to their hearts. And therefore you can expect the behavior of bitterness and jealousy and selfish ambition to be Um, Seen in their lives as well. So what James wants the reader to see here is that this wisdom does not and cannot come from God. It does not relate to faith. Now look at the second half of verse 14, and it is probably the most uh, complicated aspect of this verse. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, and I said in brackets you can add the word then because that is expected, but instead of then he says, do not boast and be false to the truth. That's awkward. How do you go from if you do this, do this? The action that James has in view here, do not boast and be false to the truth, uh, gives the idea of stopping suddenly. And, And I'll get to that in a moment's time, but keep that in mind. So this is the completion of the thought, if you have, do not boast. And let me try to make sense of this. What James is after is, if jealousy... And selfish ambition is found, has found a resting place in your heart, then you should not boast about the truth. There is nothing to boast about because you have no true relationship with the truth. So let me explain that. The command here that he gives, do not boast, and, and it sounds passive but it's not actually passive in greek it's much harsher it literally means stop right now uh you know when when dad calls to your the daughter um stop now that is what james is saying that the force of this verbal command is please stop it stop boasting It could be translated, stop being arrogant. And some translations go that way, and that's okay. Uh, It it carries the same idea. This kind of boasting comes from selfish or a self-centered heart, and so he says, stop it. Don't take pride in this. Don't, Don't think that you have something to boast about. It does seem out of place. But understand what James is talking about here. They are the ones who claim in chapter 2 that they believe in God. And he says, oh really, you do? Well, even the demons do. They are the ones to claim that they love God. And that they are obedient to the truth. Yet they do not care about their brother and sister. They are the ones who, says, who, who say that they live according to the law. Yet they do not apply the law when it comes to how they treat the poor in their church they are the ones who says well we have the law and yet as they look into the law of liberty they walk away as if the law of liberty has no authority over their lives and James says stop boasting in the truth because you've got no real relationship with the truth how do I get to that look at the the full sense of what he's saying here stop boasting and be false to the truth The idea here is stop um, being proud about the fact that you have the truth. Because if you do continue to make these claims and and, and statements, you are lying against the truth. James, very close to how um, most Jewish writers write, they use abstract things and make it personal. And sometimes they do that of the Holy Spirit as well, and rightly so. But here, truth has been personified. Notice how he says, do not lie uh, or be false to the truth, or do not lie against the truth, one translation says. and That's probably the better translation. So what James has done, is he's made truth um, like a person. He's personified it. Just think about this. When you lie what do you do? You're lying against the truth, right? You're not telling the truth because that's what a lie is. So you don't need to personify truth because it is, it is naturally obvious in the fact that you are lying. So why does he personify this word um, truth? So it's as if James has taken truth and said, just imagine truth is standing opposite you. You are doing this. You're standing, looking at truth right in its face and saying, you're the liar. You are causing truth to be the one at fault when you are claiming to be the one that's in the right. You are telling truth to its face that it is the liar when you are the one that's actually lying. And he says, stop boasting because you really do not have a connection to the truth. Truth does not permeate your heart. Why? Because selfish ambition and jealousy does, but not the truth. They are refusing the truthfulness of the truth. That's what James is doing here by personifying truth. He places, a, um, he places this debate between the contender and truth and he says that you are literally telling truth is the liar when you are the one that is the liar. So the implication is this then. You have no real relationship with the truth. So stop making these truth claims about the truth. It is wrong to claim that you love the Lord and live as if he has no authority over your life. That is what James is after Christ is not dominating your heart, but your own selfish desire is. God is no longer the king reigning in your heart, but you are. This person is called a practical atheist. We know what a theoretical atheist are, is, and we, we hear um, their claims quite often. I don't believe in God. That is a theoretical atheist, even though he does believe in God. There is no such thing as an atheist. One person said God does not believe in atheists, which is true. you get it later. This person, though, that James has in mind, is one that does believe in God. Notice what he says in verse 19 of chapter 2. You believe that God is one, you do well. But even the demons do that. And you'll see that he makes a connection back to that in a moment's time. This person claims that he knows God. He claims that he has the truth. He claims to believe the truth. He claims that he loves God's people, but there's nothing to show it. He lives as if God has no authority in his life. That is a practical atheist. It doesn't matter what you believe. If the truth has no bearing on your life, you are living as if you are an atheist. It is not good enough to say I believe in God and not live for God. It is not good enough to say I love the truth, but then the truth has no authority over your life. Oh I wish that the Christian world would wake up because I see this so often. We say that, oh, we are committed to the truth. The Bible is the Word of God. Oh, really? It is. Let's take it to how you walk. Let's take it to how you deal with your taxes. Let's take it to how you deal with perversity and your purity. If God is God and His Word is authoritative in your life, who then controls your life? Not you. Yet, it is so often, I hear so many sad stories of how pastors have left the faith, or they have stolen money, or they, have, um, they had to step down from their role as pastor teacher, because of the perversion that is controlling their life. You know what? Paul and Peter, does both, both of them do this. If you are of the truth, then your life will come in line with the truth. If you are a false teacher, you will live a perverse life. You cannot hide it. Your life will demonstrate that you are a false teacher. Eventually, it will come out. Why? Because your heart is dominated not by the truth, but by your soul, um, self, perversion, and uh, sin. A heart that is dominated by selfish ambition and bitter envy is a heart that has no true relationship with God's word. It's got a superficial relationship with God's word. It's a heart that owns God's standard and has elevated its own passion as a standard. I know this is hard to hear for some of you. But if you are in this condition, if you are in this position, I plea with you to run and flee to Christ for salvation. How much time do I have left? Okay, let me go on. So first of all, James gives the idea of the quality of a person that does not have a wisdom that comes from above. He's dominated by his own sinful heart. The second reality is that the essence of false wisdom. Verse 15, the essence of false wisdom. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and spiritual and demonic. Where did you hear that word before? Chapter 2, verse 19. You believe in God, the God is one, you do well, even the demons believe. Again, like I said to you last week, James goes back to previously mentioned themes because he's drawing all of those things in in this thematic uh, peak, and, and says to them, Well, if all of that is true, then you should walk and live in a certain way. <clears throat> James now moves to show how vastly different this kind of wisdom is the one that he's just mentioned. He wants his readers to understand that false wisdom can cause chaos and cause people to live in contradistinction to the truth. Why? Because the truth does not dominate their lives. Note the separation. It begins in, in verse 15. This is not wisdom that comes down from above. Now I'm going to get to this um, phrase later on because he mentions it back uh, down in verse 17 as well, uh, from, from above. But it does relate backward first, um, talking about verse 14 in saying that the bitter jealousy and the selfish ambition, this is not the wisdom that comes down from Above This activity describes the ongoing, continuing nature of wisdom that is not heavenly, it is unspiritual, it is not godly. So then what James is saying is that by its nature, it is earthly, natural, and demonic. So if you are in the realm of bitter jealousy and selfish selfish ambition, what you are actually uh, um, uh, saying of yourself is that you are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. I'll get to those three. Don't don't be scared yet. You will get scared when we get to the demonic one, but um, don't get scared yet. What is meant by these three? Firstly, before I get to earthly, he says that this wisdom does not come down from above, and when he uses that word. coming down from above, it's how the Jews spoke of coming down from Yahweh, or a gift that comes from Yahweh, directly from the bosom of Yahweh. It is used in chapter 1, I believe it's in verse 17, uh, verse 18, it says that we have been born from above. It is what God does on our behalf. And so when he says that this wisdom does not come from above, he's disassociating this kind of wisdom from God, saying that God's got no connection to this kind of wisdom. So don't claim to know God if you have this kind of wisdom. This is counterfeit wisdom. It is secular and not spiritual. So, first of all, it is earthly. Indicates that this person who opposes the truth, does not live according to God's word, he is natural, he is earthly, he is secular. It is not from uh, uh, God. It defines a man or a woman who can theorize things and come to a logical conclusion all by himself without the help of God. Natural wisdom. Naturally being able to come to a conclusion. God has given us as faculties, and they are good for doing math. And I will not go down the venture of A plus B equals, we will not go down that route. But nevertheless, um, those are natural faculties. And James says, if that is all that you have, and that's all that you are banking on to live your life as a pleasing uh, um, uh, act of worship to God, then you have nothing. This is not the kind of wisdom that God wants. This means if you look at nature, if you look at the natural world, and that's all that you bank your life on, you have nothing. You don't really have wisdom. This kind of wisdom finds its source um, in the natural aspect of life, not with God. This earthly, the word earthly is contrasted to the heavenly or from above. So it is not from above, but it is natural, it is earthly. It is anti-God, anti-heaven. It defines things that is natural or earthbound to this world. Paul uses it of... um, The natural man, the earthly man who is dominated by things uh, that is from this world. It is used of the unbeliever who uh, does not understand the things of the world. It is used of the immature saint who set the affection on things on the earth. That is the idea here. It's a kind of philosophical, worldly, rational approach with a touch of spirituality. You, You are trying to live for God, so you sprinkle bible is over your life, uh, or christian knees over your uh, decisions, just to sound spiritual. But in, in actuality, it's just pragmatism sprinkled with a little order of God. It works, and so I do it, and so it, it's got to be right because it's worked. It's got to be of God because it works. For instance, God very clearly tells us, Husbands, love your wives. Is there a condition applied to that? Not at all. Not at all. So even if your wife is unlovable at a moment in time, what is the command? Love your wives. Even if she burns your steak or your chop. Out of spite. Or even if she does not do the dishes that your mom taught you to do the dishes. And I know that's a silly thing. But you get the point. The command is to love her regardless of how she treats you. Wives submit to your husbands. Is there a condition applied to that? No. Actually, in that case it is. In all things, there is a condition. But that is very wide. In everything. I can see one guy smiling at least. I know he's probably going to go speak to his wife now. But the point is that these are clear commands. Why don't we see it in the home? Why is it so hard for us to apply these truths in the home? Because we bank on natural wisdom to make it through our day. You know what? My mom did it this way, or my dad did it this way, and so I'm just going to do it this way. Uh, Growing up, uh, I remember when my dad came home once, he handed the paycheck over to uh, my mom. Um, Sometimes in our colored community culture, that happens. But what you've just done is you've handed the responsibility of decision-making over to the woman, but in creation, who did God give that responsibility to? Man. In fact, he created man first and said to Adam, you shall not eat. Eve. Yeah, to Adam first, you shall not eat. But Eve knew of it. Yet when Eve ate of it, who did God go to? Adam. What did you do? There are absolutely clear principles in Scripture. Yet we bank on natural wisdom, earthly wisdom, to make it through our day. This kind of wisdom is self-pleasing with a scent of Jesus' talk. You know, we just add Jesus at the end of our discussion. You know, I, de- I decided to buy this house. I can't afford it, but you know, the Lord is good. <laughs> no! It's the kind of wisdom that follows old wives' tales as if it is godly truth. You know, just drink a little bit of peppermint peppermint water and you will not get cancer again. Yeah. I mean, there are some old wives' tales at work. I don't know which ones, don't ask me. This kind of wisdom approaches life and virtue without banking upon the understanding and the knowledge of God's word. That is natural. And that's what James is saying, that this is a life that is distinct. It is separate from God. It is treasonous to say that you love God, you love his word, you love his truth, but then bank on natural wisdom. Natural wisdom should not be confused with God honoring God-given wisdom. Common sense is not wisdom. Even a dog has common sense. A dog knows not to run through brushes because sometimes snakes, they lie in a brush. A a dog knows that by instinct. But what do kids do? (laughs) I'm just saying, a dog has sense. The wisdom that James talks about here in being earthly, he says, you know what? It's separate from God. It is things that you you are banking on that is earthly. It is unlike God. It is far from God. Secondly, it is unspiritual or natural. This could mean soulish or sensual. Uh, it is used in First Corinthians chapter. 2 verse 14, the natural man, Um, so it can be used in that sense, but it is often used of those who refuses to bow to the truth. It refers to the natural man that is captivated by the world and consumed by his passions. It refers to somebody that is antithetical to the spiritual life. Therefore, it stands, or this person stands, in contradistinction to all that is from above, all that comes from God, all that is true and spiritual. This person does not walk by the Spirit. He walks by his own Spirit, by his own will, by his own sense, by his own sensuality, and by his own passion. One guy said it this way, it refers to a person who follows the very lowest propensities of our nature and soul. Quote. Wow. He calls this man beastly, and I didn't want to call people that, because I understand where he's coming from, in that you are following the base desires and sensuality of your nature. What James is doing, he's is, is increasing the separation from God. First of all, it is earthly. That's one step away from God. Then it is spiritual, unspiritual. It is unlike God in everything. And thirdly, it is demonic. This is not wisdom that comes from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. What does it mean here? This is in contrast to God. False wisdom is no different to demonic wisdom. Wisdom. Go back to chapter one, uh, two, verse nineteen. <clears throat> you believe that God is one; you do well. Even demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? What is a fool? A person that does not have the knowledge and understanding of God. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? In other words, if you don't have anything that can demonstrate you have a relationship with God, your faith is no better than a demon's faith. So he banks on that and draws that into this context. And notice what he says, that this kind of wisdom is so far removed from God because you have godly wisdom that comes from above, and then you have this demonic wisdom which is the opposite of God. So then, if you have these two qualities, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, if these dominate your heart, then the wisdom that you have is far from God. It is not from God, which means you do not have the Word of God dominating your life and therefore you do not have the Spirit of God controlling your heart. This devilish wisdom is the kind of wisdom that does not bear the touch of divinity, does not bear the the touch of holiness, does not uh, understand the riches of the wisdom and the holiness of God. But it's completely opposite to that. And James is saying that this is the kind of wisdom that you possess. It is natural it is unspiritual, that is an unbeliever's kind of um, a wisdom, and it is demonic. It is opposite to God. The outcome of this false wisdom is contrasted in the kind of harvest or the fruit that it bears. We won't get into this now, but look at verse 16. He says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition, that kind of wisdom exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. You will see it in how that person lives. Where you have this ungodlike, unspiritual, and demonic kind of wisdom, there will be disorder and a following of every vile passion. So let me ask you can you then have a Christian? who follows and subscribes to the LGBTQ plus minus X, Y, Z community. Can you have a wisdom from the earth and a wisdom from above? No, you can't. Can you have those who say that they love God and are totally sold out for Christ and for God, but then live as if God has no authority over their lives? Paul makes no distinction between a believer... Let me put it this way. In Paul's mind, there is no such thing as a a half-hearted Christian. You're spiritual or unspiritual. You walk with God or you're an unbeliever. False wisdom must be rejected because it is vile, it is demonic... And it is earthly. It is natural in the sense that it does not follow God's principles. The practice that James is after demonstrates that this wisdom is anti-God and anti-truth. Now, if you want to learn more about that, you have to come back next week and we will look at that. Let me end with these words. <coughs> Jeremiah nine twenty-three to 24 Thus says Yahweh, Let not the wise man boast... Of his wisdom, and the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this that he understands and knows me. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this would be the reality of every saint here this morning that our boast is found in Christ alone. That we do not bank on our own natural earthly wisdom that seems to be wise, but in fact is foolishness. Father, we pray that you would speak to those who are in this realm, who's dominated by selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. I ask that you would work in their hearts and draw them to Christ that they may be, become your children. Pray that those who are claiming to be Christians but have submitted to a wisdom from this world that you would draw them from that life of sin and a life that is opposed to you that they may come find peace in Christ. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand how drastically different the wisdom that you give is to the wisdom that that is natural to this world. Help us to seek and ask for your wisdom, that we may live in a way that honors you and you alone, as we give thanks to you in Christ's name. Amen.